Welcome to the LTID Network Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Anderson, and on this podcast, we seek out the world's best researchers, coaches, support staff, teachers, and athletes to better understand the process of long-term athlete development. Don't forget to get your seven-day free trial to our online platform and 50% off your first month with the code LTADVIP50. That's LTADVIP50 at the LTID Network Hub website. This podcast episode is sponsored by Statera. Statera is a web-based application that helps youth athletes and their stakeholders estimate training load, track maturation status, monitor readiness, and manage injury. Put together by coaches working with busy youth athletes, Statera helps keep things simple and brings together the most important training information in one place to ensure that effective athlete-centered decisions can be made. No more complicated Excel tutorials and spreadsheets, just upload your athletes' data and their training schedule and start to take control of their training commitments and workload. Make more informed decisions and protect your athletes' well-being, supporting their performance. Statera takes your data very seriously. GDPR compliant and registered with the ICO, choose from a range of maturation indices and validated measures, or customize your own. Statera can record any training variable and all your data is fully exportable. To reach out today and get a free walkthrough, head over to www.statera.uk. That's S-T-A-T-E-R-A dot U-K. Welcome to the LTID Network Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Lachlan Wilmot. Lachlan has been working in the fitness industry going on 17 years, working with both the general population and elite level athletes. After completing a Bachelor of Exercise in Sports Science, Lachlan continued his education, completing his honours thesis in Sports Science. Lachlan spent eight years as a senior athletic performance coach specialising in strength and power at the GWS Giants AFL Club based in Sydney, after previous involvement with the AIS AFL Academy and New South Wales ACT AFL Academy. Lachlan then moved across to the Parramatta Eels NRL Club to take on the role of high performance manager. After two seasons at the club, he made the decision to transition into his private company, Athletes Authority. Lachlan is currently the Director of Coaching and Performance at Athletes Authority in Sydney, and company specialising in athlete development and coach education. Lachlan also currently sits on the board of directors for the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association. So Lachlan, welcome to the podcast, mate. It's awesome to have you on. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it, mate. Uh, good to chat with you across the pond. So give us a bit of the, the Lachlan Wilmot backstory. What were you like as a young whippersnapper sport-wise? How did you get bitten by the bug and how did that develop into a, a career in coaching? Um, I think it's, it is probably a lot like a number of coaches that, that get into the industry. Um, I was a, a better trainer than I was um, player. Um, I played Australian rules football growing up. That was my sport. As every young kid, I was always going to go pro. Um, but then I realised that um, I probably peaked a little bit early around that year nine, year 10 mark. Um, and everyone then just overtook me as I continued along and still enjoyed the, the process and loved the training and probably ended up loving being in the gym and, um, and the process of it all more than um, getting my body right for competition, I think. Um, so, you know, that sort of then evolved into me being a personal trainer straight out of school. Um, loved the personal training side of things. Um, you know, I was young, um, making good cash, 
may or may not have been paying tax on that. Who knows? Um, but it was one of those lively um, livelihoods that that um, that was very enjoyable and, and really loved the development and just just caught the bug like a lot of people do and wanted to learn more and more and more. It was the Poliquin and Paul Check days. So um, I sort of dove straight into that uh, self-directed learning and really got used to chasing a lot of education where I could. Um, I always had that AFL bug. It was always my favourite sport. And um, long story short, uh, I was playing just local footy at the time and, and the coach that I was working with um, became a scout for, for a major team here um, and had a couple of players that he wanted me to work with, uh, and I did. Uh, they got some really good results. That pushed into a, a role with the, the New South Wales AFL uh, program, so our state league. Um, I then started to realise, geez, actually, this, this could be a career because, to be honest, I didn't actually know that strength and conditioning was a full-time career at that stage. Um, Although there were plenty around, it probably wasn't as obvious because there was no social media or anything like that. So as a personal trainer, you, you don't necessarily see the strength and conditioning coach of the Wallabies or strength and conditioning coach of a, of a senior AFL team because you really had to be inside the, the circle to know it. Um, so, yeah, to, to realise that was a full-time career, I thought, geez, that's exactly what I'd do. So went to uni, did all the right things there and um, and evolved through the process and was lucky enough that, um, that the GWS Giants, which is now a fully-fledged AFL team, um, happened to open in my backyard. Um, and I tell the story often around... Um, the, the importance of just putting yourself out there. And um, I volunteered to work as an assistant strength conditioning coach with the AIS AFL program. Um, so I volunteered, drive to Canberra, which is about a three hour drive from where I live. Um, and the, the head coach of that program became the first employee um, at GWS. So it was something that if I hadn't put myself out there, then I would never have had that connection. And um, he trusted me, he knew me, he knew my dedication and, and literally rung me and said, look, um, can you come on board as my strength conditioning coach? Well, fantastic. What? There's no way I'm going to say no to that. So um, I jumped on board as a development coach. Uh, sorry, in the development team as a strength conditioning coach. Um, and that was really, really young. They were called Team GWS. Uh, and so for, for people playing at home, GWS is Greater Western Sydney. So um, it, it was not, didn't even have a name at the time. Um, they then got branded as the Giants um, and they were looking for a head of performance or so high performance manager. So they brought in John Quinn, um, who is a track and field coach, but had also been at another club for about 10 years as well. Um, and ultimately he, he was gonna bring in his own people. He wanted his own people in there, didn't want anyone else that, uh, that he didn't know. Um, Al McConnell, who was the, the coach that got me involved, said to John, look, just give Lockie a chance. Let him have a chat with you. Um, you know, he's done so well this year. It, it, I just wanted him to have an opportunity to talk to him. Um, Quinny later told me that uh, as he was heading to the coffee that he just had in his head, he was fused, like, I'm just meeting this bloke. I'm not even going to hire him. Um, I don't know what, it's pointless, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, I must have said something right because uh, after the coffee, he, he definitely was intrigued. Um, and he said, look, I wanna, I wanna interview you in a more practical sense um, in Melbourne. So what we'll do is when you travel for the next game uh, down in Melbourne, um, we'll, I'll take you into Essendon, which is another football club there. And um, that was his old football club. And um, you, can, you can train for 30 minutes, one of the rookies, and I can watch and see how you coach. Um, anyway, long story short, I was down in Melbourne, but two weekends after that, the, uh, the game that we were playing got extended. So I went overtime, um, we were late. 
Um, the, at the time, the, the footy operations manager, Lockie Buzzard, was driving me around and said, geez, we better try and find Quinny. We'll get there so you can have this interview. Got there, Essendon facility had closed. Um, everyone had vacated. So he goes, look, I've got a mate around the corner who's got a, a gym uh, in his garage. We'll go around there and, and you can coach him and, and, and I'll see what you've got. I'm like, okay, no worries. Um, so went around to his mate's place and lo and behold, opened the door and uh, his mate happened to be the high performance manager at Melbourne. Um, so I had two senior high performance managers in the back of some bloke's house um, in the garage and they were throwing weights around, doing snatches. You know, Quinny was hammering me about what sort of technique he should be using, why he should be changing it. The, uh, the, other, the other high performance managers coming back at me asking, well, why would you do this and this? So um, it was certainly a unique experience. Um, I firmly believe, I think my, my experience in personal training um, and being very much thinking on the fly, being in busy environments, very chaotic, um, I certainly think it did help me. Um, and that was where ultimately uh, that night he offered me the, the job and lo and behold, that job was my first professional contract um, and you know, we were mentioning uh, off air a bit around you know, every strength conditioning coach kind of waits for that time where they, they get their first full-time role and they don't have to work three or four different jobs. Um, so for me, it was a very significant night and a very significant offer. Um, and from there, I was at the, the GWS Giants AFL for, for eight years, um, then was lucky enough to move across into the NRL Rugby League, um, the dark side of Rugby League, if you're an AFL person. Um, and I was the, the high performance manager there at uh, Parramatta Eels for two years. Um, within that time, I had I'd brought into Athletes Authority, which is the private performance facility I currently run here in Sydney. Um, I worked with my business partner there. He ran it um, almost entirely while I was in professional sport. And ultimately, after two years at Parramatta, um, the, the facility, the company itself was just at a size that um, if I hadn't have come across, I reckon uh, he would have killed me. Uh, so I had to sort of make the call and say, you know what, I, I probably my passion now lies with my facility more than it does in professional sport, as much as I love pro sport. Um, so after 10 years in it, um, I moved across uh, into my private facility and haven't looked back. And that's literally been the, the past two years of COVID has been my, my private facility experience. But um, it has been non-stop adventure, changing, adapting, um, expanding and growing. Um, we've, we've recently, at the beginning of this year, um, we did move into a brand new facility um, that is far more purpose-built for what we do. Um, and that's where I sit at the moment, trying to uh, evolve the facility as best as I can. Um, for us in Sydney, we've just come out of a bloody 15-week lockdown. Um, so it has been a hard 15 weeks, but, um, but nonetheless, it's been a fantastic two weeks of us being back because the energy is through the roof and the athletes are pumped. Awesome. I want to dig into the Athletes Authority side of things, but first I want, there's something in that, your kind of backstory there that I really want to highlight. And uh, one of the things that the s &C industry often gets accused of is, is nepotism and it's people hiring their mates. So the fact that, that you were able to go in and convince someone who already had their guy in their head and, um, you know, it was probably doing it out of a token thing for his power. He said, no, give him a chance. Like he thought, okay, I'll give this guy a crack, but probably mm -hmm. I'm going to go with my, the guy I've already got in my head. The fact that you managed to convince, persuade someone out of yeah. that kind of that baseline choice that they had is a nice little segue into what, what you call the three P's, which I think is really important for kind of up and coming coaches to, to be aware of. And it's something I've heard you talk about and you actually verbalize something that I have have done previously, but not necessarily been aware 
that I was doing. But when you started to verbalize it, I thought, oh yeah, that's, he's actually really nicely described the way I go about things as well. Mm, yeah, definitely. Now we, <laughs> the, um, the three P's or the basically persuasion, persuasion and persuasion was a, a bit of just a, um, a tongue in cheek title that uh, me and my business partner actually came up with. Um, we, I was presenting the ASCA and we're trying to think of, of something a little bit more unique for the, the presentation that's not just you know, how to get the best out of agility with a ladder and stuff like that, which obviously not to say that anyone that's presented on that is bad. It's just, it's a much more common subject. And I think um, coaches, as we evolve at the moment, the, the business side, the branding side is actually becoming far more important than it probably used to be um, because whether you like it or not, you've got a brand. Um, if, if you don't have a brand, someone else will make your brand for you. Um, and it's something that I talk to my coaches a lot about. And that's sort of say you have to be the most active person on social media and that's where you have to live and everything. But um, I do believe, especially for young coaches, it's important to, to get yourself out there and get used to, to putting your ideas out there and getting used to connecting with others, not just on social media. We also want it in person, but ultimately social media is very easy to, to connect you know, over overseas, which has always been a tough one for Australians you know, back in the 90s and early 2000s. It's very tough, but um, these days it's as it's as easy as you know texting your your mate next door. Um, but the the idea came from there's a book on our bookshelf called Persuasion, um, and it is it is a great book that that discusses um, similar concept about um, how you can actually set the tone for an environment, how you can um, already start to get um, the tide to, to flow in your direction with certain uh, techniques, methods, and attributes that you can use. Um, so we sort of ran with that and applied it to the, the coaching model. And um, you know, the, the persuasion that I talk a lot about, everything you're doing on social media now, the way you're connecting with others, people that you're talking to, um, internships you're doing, all of this is, is building your brand and it's, it's persuading everything um, that's leading up to that first ultimate um, interview that you might get. Uh, for a professional job, providing that's where you want to go. Um, and then the, the persuasion is the, the CV, the cover letter, the interview. Um, how are you positioning yourself? How are you selling who you are? Because ultimately, it is a sales technique. And um, so many people don't think that a CV and a cover letter does much. And I can tell you right now, having hired a lot of people over my time through different environments, both professional and private, it certainly does. It makes a big difference. Um, and as a bit of a takeaway, you know, a lot of people, for me, the cover letter is your emotional story and the, the CV are your stats. Um, and too many people in their CV just list what they've done. And then the cover letter, they just repeat in sentences what they've done. And it's, it's, it's useless. So um, what I tell my staff is in your CV, you should be listing your experiences but you should also be listing the stats of that. What, what did you achieve? You know, was it a reduction in injury rate? Was it an increase in strength? Was it you know, certain attributes that you added, team dynamics you changed? Have some key takeaways that you actually did with that job. So when I'm reading it and I'm hiring you, I can go, well, that's what they can bring to us. Um, and then once you've done that list, the CV, uh, sorry, the CV, the cover letter is actually your more emotional connection, your, your story of why you actually did what you did, where you're going with everything and why you want this job and how everything relates to it. And I, I see too many people listing, you know, bar jobs and hospitality jobs. And look, depending on who you are, I can only speak for myself, but that doesn't, like, for me, if you worked in hospitality, that doesn't change if I'm going to hire you or not. It's just filling out a CV. Um, so for me, you've really got to tailor it to the job you're going for.
Um, and then, then the last one was persuasion, which we kind of coined. Um, and that's the idea of once you're in that first professional gig, and it typically would be an assistant role, maybe a head of an academy or something like that. Um, that's where don't be afraid to leverage where you are, but do it respectfully. It's not good enough just to promote that you've got a logo on your shirt, but don't be naive to think that what you have is going to last forever and make sure you're thinking ahead. And the number one part of persuasion is do a good bloody job. Like it doesn't matter if you're doing a terrible job and you're trying to promote yourself, then it's all gonna fall apart. So, you know, first and foremost, do an amazing job at where you are and what you're, you're actually hired to do, but also look for avenues where you can present on behalf of that, that company, that, that organization. Look at avenues where you can help others as a representative of that organization be in meetings, in networking, in boards, all these type of things, because it's it's certainly not going to last. And I think if any coach has been in the industry more than a year or two, they would have heard a podcast, read a story of a coach um, that has been fired and didn't think they were going to be. Yeah, I think all that's massive. And it's something, I, I like what you've done in the three piece because it does put a nice structure behind it, but it's stuff that, you know, I, I completely 100% agree with. And people who say, oh, there's no opportunities, it's highly likely you didn't do these things. Like for me, I've said to a lot of people, look, if the first time those interviews see you is when you come for an interview, you're really up against it. Like, because I know from when I recruit, I, I'm Googling people, I'm looking at their social media, I'm going on LinkedIn. If, if their LinkedIn has got something from five years ago, I'm like, okay, there's not, nothing much really compelling here. Like you're, you're really laying the groundwork by some of those yeah. things, like you say, to, to have a reputation before you walk into that room. But that bit around uh, that persuasion, that next level is really interesting as well, because you're right, there's yeah. loads of opportunities that come up and people might poo-poo them because they go, oh, it's a one-hour workshop. I can't really be asked doing that on a Wednesday night. And, and that's yeah. stuff I've done myself. You know, I started doing workshops for free uh, three years ago. The next month, I'll be doing one that's paid, you know, for a full day. Now, it didn't start getting paid it started doing it for freebies but it mounts doesn't it and you build momentum yeah. so now you know that's totally i mean even with one little trick that i looking back did was i used to add i used to try and figure out who was on the interview panel of the job i was going for and i would add them all on linkedin now just something as simple as recency bias so they might remember my name but might even not know why they remember it just yeah. go i've heard that name before but you know you're then prompting them to say hey come and look over here come and check out my linkedin page so there's those little things like and as you say in the interview can you, you know, for the job I'm in currently, I put forward a portfolio. Like, here's what I did in my last my last role. Because I wanted to walk out and say, I've left no stone unturned. Everything's on the table. If I don't get it, it just wasn't good enough. But I don't want to walk yeah. away and go, ah, oh, crap, I should have put something together on that. Yeah. And do you know what? I, I, I don't mean to offend anyone uh, that does this, so please don't take it that way. But I, I kind of believe that... Um, when we talk about persuasion, because it's in this day and age, it's almost the most important to start, obviously. Um, in 10 years, I've never called a reference, ever. Um, if, if you are calling all their references, I kind of feel like it's a token gesture and you're not really worried about the type of person you're hiring in that position because you're never going to have a reference give you anything bad. Like the worst is going to be, oh, you know what? Yeah, the worst thing about him is he's a perfectionist. You're like, oh, what a cop out that is. Like, you, you, you actually, as you said, you're looking at what they've posted socially, who they're connected to. And let's be honest, in the industry, you're always going to find someone that you know that knows them. So I'm texting, I'm calling people and people text and call me about my old interns and, and staff. And, and that's how you find out. I've, I don't think I've, I've ever called 
a reference because you know unless you're working in a a more um, structured company that insists that you have to to do due diligence um but uh, i i never do and I, I think it's a waste of time because i know they're going to tell me that whoever i'm wanting to hire is going to be a great person yeah and as you say like the industry is small enough that when you see i don't know you see a club there hey i don't know someone there and you're going to pick yeah. up the phone you're going to get a more honest review right because yeah. it's a bit like a wingman on a night out. Of course, he's going to say great things about you. Exactly. Yeah. You've, exactly. you've said to him, hey, heads up. Someone's probably going to give me a call. Give me a good reference. You haven't said to this guy that I know and you don't realize I know as a mutual connection. He's yeah. probably going to give me an honest review. Yeah, that's, a, that's a great analogy. Instead of references, you could put, just put wingmen. And they're the three people you're putting down there. You know they're going to tell you the best story. <laughs> so let's jump into Athletes Authority. Um, Give us a bit of an overview of what is Athletics Authority? What's the facility like? What's the staffing structure like? What was your kind of motivation and catalyst to move away from what people might see on paper as being the dream job? Yeah. Um, so what it is now, um, it is, look, it's been through a few evolutions over time, but what it is now is that the sole purpose of what we do is to try and bring professional sport to the amateur ranks. Um, that's sort of our, our catch cry to our staff and what we try and do for athletes. And, and what that means is the, the systems, the process, the structures that, um, that I was exposed to through pro sport, um, I noticed was lacking in the private sector. And albeit there's certain um, things that need to be adapted to the private sector, I saw no reason why the efficiency of systems and the just utmost um, due diligence to a specific program, whether it be performance or rehab, could not be done in a private setting. Um, not to mention the same accountability and the same drive and the same push for success. Um, and the ultimate dream when we started was, well, we want an athlete-only facility. When, when we kind of started, we, we had this sort of slogan that you know, anyone can be an athlete. Um, and again, I've said this a few times in this podcast, I'll say it again. I'm sorry if I offend anyone that that is their catch cry because I still see it go around at the moment, but not everyone can be an athlete. And when you don't know what your product or service is, <clears throat> ultimately you're gonna get undone. And what we had was a very serious training venue that we tried to claim anyone can be an athlete because lo and behold, we should niche down because we don't wanna lose the market. We don't wanna lose members. Um, and so we had athletes that would see general pop training and not want to train there because, oh, they're just some general pop. I'd prefer to go train somewhere else. And then we had general pop looking at our facility and a couple of athletes and going, oh, it's too serious for me to train there. So, so guess what? We got nobody. Um, now, obviously, that's a bit over exaggeration because we were still turning a profit at least. Um, but we were just full of this mixed culture, um, mixed memberships. It was just, it was, a, it was a dog's breakfast for the first little bit. Um, as we started to back ourselves, we started to niche down. A lot of this was when I was still in professional sports. So my business partner, Carl, drove a lot of this. Um, but we, we really did start to decide, well, we need to trim the fat and, and really focus on what we're good at and what we want to be. And, and ultimately, it's brought us to where we are now. We are a, a pure athlete-only gym. If you don't want to get better for your sport, then you do not train with us. Um, <clears throat> we now currently have two offerings, and that's it. We have our performance program, which is a weekly amount, and it is a 12-month contract from day one. You cannot be an athlete for three weeks. You cannot be an athlete for three months. If you're committing, you're committing for 12 months. The next part of it is rehab. So that's our performance rehab arm. 
again, the, the concept of physiotherapy and rehab in Australia, in our opinion, is backwards and does not incentivize people to get better. Because what happens is you have your ACL surgery, you go in to have some, maybe some hands-on treatments, some basic exercise given to you, you're told to come back in a week, you do that. And as you're starting to get better and feeling better, the uh, idea of paying more and more money for more and more sessions becomes less and less attractive. So by the time you get to the three month mark where an average person is walking around, you know, somewhat pain-free, can do daily tasks, they start to think, well, I'm feeling pretty good. So I'll go back to the gym. I don't need to pay for physio. It's $130 for the session. What am I kidding myself? I don't have that much money to do that. So they start to dial back. And at the most important time when they're meant to be lifting fast, running fast, jumping high, you know, being strong and, and being reactive and everything like that in a chaotic environment, they have zero assistance because they're not paying money for it. They don't want to pay money for it. So instead of us selling the process, we sell the result, which is exactly what we do in professional sport. If you have an ACL, the, the day after you do your ACL, I'm presenting an ACL timeline to my head coach. So that might be yeah, six month, nine month, 10 month, whatever you want to look at. But um, we are presenting a timeline and we're saying, this is when we can hopefully see you know, X player available for selection again. We do the exact same thing in the private sector. We have a, an athlete turn up to us, usually before they have their ACL surgery. We're at a stage now where often surgeons will, will send them to us before the surgery, which is even better. Um, but our ACL program is a 12 month program. It is a 12 month contract. Our shoulder rehab is a six month contract. Our you know, grade three hamstring, we, at the end of the day, we have a minimum of six months, but grade three hamstring, we contractually show them the timelines. So for our ACL, for example, we envisage getting them back to their sport in nine months, but they are committing to an extra three months in our performance program. So once they've returned, we are still across everything they're doing. And it is a weekly amount. It is the same weekly amount from day one through to day 365. So there's no, in, no disincentive for them to pull away and actually get it. In fact, it's the opposite because when they sign up for our performance rehab program, it's not just physio. It's their, all their coaching, all their programming, full access to the gym, full access to our dietitians, access to our mental or mental skills coaching, um, which is, People, again, very underestimated in rehab when it should be probably one of the biggest focus. Um, we have our cold plunge, hot plunge, dry recovery room. Um, everything in between is then available to them. So now it's, I'm not signing up to do my ACL with a physio. I'm signing up to do my ACL with Athletes Authority, which is my performance team, which is going to look after me from the day, well, the day before surgery to an extent, but sometimes a couple of weeks before surgery, through till my return and then into my competition where I'm a little bit nervous about testing my ACL out. Um, and that's how we sell it. And lo and behold, we had an uptake. More and more people wanted it. And guess what happened within our facility? Like-minded people are training together. We don't have your average Joe that got pissed on the weekend and now just wants to train on a Monday because they're, they're not going to commit. So what we find that the bigger the barrier to entry, the more quality we get within our four walls. 
Now, you can't just open a facility in my mind and do that. I'm going to completely admit that because it, it is hard. You can't, you don't have the reputation, you don't have anything built. And we evolved over time. Every couple of months, it felt like we were clearing out something else. You know, we, we cleared out power lifters, we cleared out Olympic weightlifters, we cleared out general members, we cleared out um, anyone that was just on the gym floor at random times and pushed everyone into semi private training. So everyone got coached. And every time we decided to do it, we looked at each other and thought, Jesus, we're going to take a hit financially here, but I reckon this is going to pay off. And guess what? We took a hit initially, but often far less than we thought we'd take a hit off. And we doubled up again within a very quick amount of time. Um, and we are where we are now. And um, we've, we've returned from COVID. Um, again, we've restructured a couple of our roles where we are building towards opening a number of facilities around Australia. Um, we're not hiding that. That's what we want to do. Um, but we've also been very uh, open in saying we want to absolutely nail our systems and our staffing structure in our current facility, make sure it's robust. So then when we open another facility, boom, we can plug and play what we know works and athletes and coaches will trust what we put into it. Um, and we're getting pretty close to it. And um, it's been a fantastic return after this, this previous 15 week lockdown. Um, and we're currently sitting, we have 16 staff. Um, of that 16 staff, we have, uh, we've got six physios, um, and it's all under an employment model. Um, so we do employ our staff. Um, a lot of people ask us, do we contract, do we employ? How do we do it? Why do we do it? Um, we do employ because we want them to buy into our company. We want them to be at staff meetings. We want them to contribute. We want them to feel the same way I felt when I signed that GWS contract and had one job for the first time in my career. Um, and that's what we want to do for the private sector. We want to offer enough of a contract that they go, you know what, I want to commit and I want this to be my sole job um, because I can get everything I need here. So from a physio standpoint, our physios in our rehab space, they go onto the gym floor and they actually coach. They coach the rehab athletes. We have our performance coaches assist them and we have interns assist. But I don't know many places that would have their physiotherapists um, for people in America, physical therapists. Um, they're, they're actually on the gym floor coaching running mechanics they're on the field coaching return to run and change of direction and then they're back on the plinth treating and doing low level return to range type work um, as i said if you're doing that or your facility's doing that amazing you're better for it um, but there's very few people and very few facilities out there that have that as their core business and why i say that is that's what we had in professional sport that's what i evolved as a coach having i had um you know, luke heath was one of the most influential physios that i've worked with he's now with sydney fc um who's a the a-league team here in sydney um and he's a phenomenal physio and he's one of the first physios that i came across who came to the gym and deadlifted with me and nearly blew me away I'm like how good is this um and his philosophy was keep load in as much as we can and i saw him coach running mechanics change of direction and, and stuff like that and i'm like this is this is phenomenal um, and what you often see is a physio gets the role in a professional setting as a physio and then is surrounded by such good quality staff and everything that they evolve into a physio like this. Um, but there's not many physios out there that come out of their degrees and suddenly can do this. 
Um, and that's the kind of what we want to try and change. We, you know, our junior physios come on board with uh, very raw skills around coaching um, and they're quickly developed. And I, I, I really feel that there's not a single facility in Australia that's better at preparing physios, also coaches, but in this instance, namely physios for professional sport to be able to walk in and, and manage a rehab list and just take them from day one and be confident coaching on field, coaching in the gym and treating them on the plinth. There's so much in what you just said that I think people probably need to go back and listen to that last 10, 15 minutes again, because from a business perspective, there's so many lessons there for the struggling uh, coach in terms of what you've done around setting a high barrier for entry, because it clears out everyone who's not the ideal client. So you get rid of the time wasters and the tire kickers, but also yep. what you've done around systemizing things, hugely important because then it's replicable and you know, repeatable. And then you can have the same result with little Jenny who comes in next and Johnny after her and it then produces a consistency of results so I, I really want to highlight what you said there because it's really important so is it just senior level athletes you guys are working with or also running developmental level programs yeah no look <clears throat> we don't discriminate against the level of athlete um, I don't know if the right word discriminate but we do discriminate against the uh, motives for the training and that's probably what what people need to understand is the separation because we train, um, for example, you know, we've, we train um, professionals in the fact that we have a, a number. And as you can imagine, especially in Australia, anyone, I'm not sure what the, the UK is like, but in Australia, our men's professional leagues tend to have them for so long of the year that it's not really a market for us to be able to train professional athletes and make any money. Um, you know, a, a, a typical time off and off season would be maybe six to eight weeks, depending on the, the sport. And, you know, once in, in normal non-COVID times, athletes would roll out, they'd be drunk for the first two weeks, they'd then go traveling for another two, three weeks. And then they come back and go, you know what, I probably better start preparing for pre-season. And they might have two, three weeks. They're not going to sign up to an intense training structure like ours for a two week, three week block. Now, there is some out there that do. We've, we've got a couple right now that are doing it, but typically they're younger ones that want to break through. They're, they're, they're professionally signed, but they want to get a starting spot. So they've sort of committed to their off season. But again, you're not going to make money off that. Um, whereas within our female ranks, <clears throat> which a lot of our female programs are, are semi-professional and really striving to turn um, far more professional with high pay brackets and hopefully actually full-time wages, but a lot of them are only six-month contracts. So the, the women will start, for example, our W League, um, which is our soccer soccer crew here. They will, they will play for effectively a six-month contract with their professional team, uh, which is the counterpart. So Sydney FC is our, our A-League Sydney team here and the Western Sydney Wanderers is another one. But the, um, the women's team is also Sydney FC in the women's league. But they'll play for six months and then that's it. And then the women's will then go and play in the second tier division, which is called the NPL, which is here in Sydney. And they will play a whole nother season again. So they literally play just back-to-back -back seasons in different competitions because they're not full-time versus a professional AFL player, a rugby league player in the men's that'll just obviously play for one competition and then actually get some time off. So what we find is a huge market for us. And to be honest, we could probably field our own W League team at the moment that they will be with Sydney FC till the final game. Then they transition and they've been used to having that professional care that they actually then come to us 
because they want to keep it going. So they'll come to us and, and settle in as a full-time athlete with us for another six months while they play in the second division and in preparation for their, their next contract um, that'll roll around the following year. Um, so we have that sort of top tier, both men's and women's that come to us. Um, but then we have a huge range of just sort of grassroots, amateur, semi-professional, some that are still striving to make it, others that just take their sport very seriously. And they have the same training mentality as our professionals. And then the next level down is all of our emerging athletes, which is what we call our under 16. So anyone under 16 is what we term our emerging athlete program. Um, and again, that they're, they're clearly not going for a professional contract just yet. Um, in saying that, well, I know it's the same in the UK, but even here they're starting to recruit pretty young. So, so some of our real young kids are getting recruited, um, but they are just coming to us with a training mentality of I'm training for my sport. I want to get better at my sport. Now, we, we have nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds. They have two, three, maybe four sports. So a lot of their athletic development is actually just good movement efficiency and good general athletic development. But that doesn't mean they don't train with the intention to play sport. So when we train them, we still have the mentality that you're training to be better at your sport. Whatever that is, it could be better at four different sports but we're also training you to be more resilient in that sport. So everything we focus on is to do with their, their sport. So the, the training mentality from our, our nine-year-olds through to our professionals are all the same. And that's what we discriminate against, not the level they play or the age or anything like that or their goals. Um, it is based on them purely wanting to get better at whatever level they're at. Awesome, mate. That's, uh, it's really good. I really like what you're doing. One of the, the areas that um, I've heard you speak about, which I think probably, again, would help uh, get clarity in people's minds was, you know, referring to a kind of a previous model where things were highly individualized for different athletes, but ultimately coming to the, the realization that actually there's, there's a lot more in common that we perhaps think and maybe programs don't need to be as individualized as, as we first thought. Do you just want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, um, the easiest way to answer that is to give you the two extremes. Um, whether you love or hate it, it doesn't matter because it's the system that counts. If you walk into a public gym and you have 22 personal trainers on the floor and they each have a client, <clears throat> how many clients do you think know the other clients of the other personal trainers? I'm going to hazard a guess. You're lucky if one of them does. They are focused on themselves. They're focused on their program. They're focused with their trainer. You walk into a CrossFit box. How many of the people in the CrossFit box know each other? Again, I'm going to hazard a guess, probably 90 to 95% of them. And probably 50% of them spend weekends together because they've become very close. Now, <clears throat> we are neither of those models. We are, we are not a so individualized one-on-one, -on -one, every person has their own coach model because as I just alluded to, we want connection, we want team camaraderie. We're also not the CrossFit box side of things because we firmly believe everyone does have certain individualizations and need to have things catered towards them. So we've, we've evolved our system over probably the past well, really see the past two years, once I've been into the company, it's been easier because I've been there, but it has been evolving probably the past three years. Um, in a way that we can create a programming structure and a team environment 
that allows all of our athletes to connect with each other, know each other, build a, a somewhat of a team outside of their team that they train with um, in the evenings and play with on the weekend, but also have this, this individualization only when necessary for specific and highly rated things. And that might be injuries and maybe preferences and maybe very um, nuanced style positional work for their sport. Um, but I do often say that when it comes to sport specific training or sport specificity, um, sports have more things in common than they do differences. And I think sometimes that gets forgotten. And it's the same as humans. Humans have way more similarities than they do differences. And that's not to say that people shouldn't have individual catering things that, that allow them to hyper-focus on their individual setting and what they want to try and improve. Um, but you're kidding yourself to think if that you're a bloody unicorn that is not unlike anyone else. Um, there is certain athletes that I've worked with and everyone would have worked with that they love being treated like a unicorn. And as a coach in that environment, you need to be able to learn to deal with them and almost pretend their program is a unicorn program without them realizing it's actually not that unicorn. But in our environment, that person won't actually sign our contract. So that's where I say that we, we don't cater to everyone. We're very open about that. And if we did, we'd probably already have gone under. Um, we cater to the people that wanna train in the way our system structures it, because we believe it is one of the best ways to get better at your sport. But that doesn't mean you can't get better in another system. And it doesn't mean we're made for everybody. So it's very important, as you said, we talked about business lessons and business owners. I think it's very important as a business owner to understand you will not cater to everybody and don't try to. Um, so with our system set up, we have developed a, a, a base program model where we will group our sports, we will group our athletes into certain categories. And then we have a series of waterfall style individualizations that periodically flow down. Um, each of the coaches adapts to it. And at the end of the day, I will have a different program to you if you're training next to me, but we try and keep the important things, the important things. Um, and I kind of want you, if, for example, if you're a soccer player and I'm a rugby player, we, we both play on field, in boots. We have change of direction. We have aerobic um, capacities we need to tick off. We have muscular capacities we need to tick off. Obviously, you're probably a, more of a runner. I'm probably more of a strength and power side. But you better believe movement pattern-wise, there's still going to be some relatable and some similar things that we're going to be doing. So I would hope that I can lift with you with at least one of my big key lifts. So we might have a trap bar deadlift as, as an A1 or a key lift. What we've found is when you and me both have an A1, we work together, we talk to each other, we get to know each other and we actually become friends. Um, when you have a completely different program to me, I have, and we use Team Builder, so we have it on their phones. Um, whether you believe in phones or not in the gym, from an efficiency and systematic standpoint, it's just easier. Um, but if I've got a completely separate program, my head's in my phone, I'm in the corner trying to find my program and trying to do my things while everyone else moves around me. Um, when we have some similar options, we're working together, we're starting to interact, we're encouraging each other. And that's the, the type of camaraderie that I had in team sport that I wanted to try and bring to our environment. The same as CrossFit, love it or hate it, they, they have built a camaraderie-based community better than anyone else because everyone does the same thing. 
So everyone feels the same pain. Everyone tries to help each other. Someone's just done 50 burpees. You love it or hate it. When the next person is doing it, you've felt it, you know what it's like, and you're appreciative of the other person giving it a crack as well. Um, and we're a bit the same. We're not doing 50 burpees, I'll tell you that, but we are certainly programming in a way that our athletes start to understand some similarities and can appreciate it. We have a big bell when they PB, they ring it, everyone claps, they get around it. We more than happy to post our best results up on the board. We celebrate good lifters and people that are winning. We do celebrate that. I'm not ashamed to say that I'm giving a participation ribbon to everyone. Um, I've heard a couple of coaches say, oh, the worst thing about a top 10 leaderboard is the rest of the people that aren't on it don't like it. Well, to be honest, if you're the type of person, you're probably not training at our, our gym. We, we encourage every individual to improve. We have that, don't get me wrong. But we're also gonna celebrate like our biggest squat. We're also gonna celebrate our biggest jump because we want people to look at it and say, I wanna get to a top 10 position. I want people to recognize that there's people better than you in certain environments. And there's nothing wrong with admitting that and striving to get there. If you don't make it, it's not you're a bad person. But dear God, I'd prefer to aim for something and miss it than just float through and not aim for any everything. And everyone's happy because we've all improved on ourselves by a kilo. But it puts it in perspective for people. Um, and on that, it's it's a strange thing to say, but um, over the past sort of 18 months, we've, we've had athletes start to sleep together. We've had athletes start to date each other. We have athletes going out on the town with each other. And rightly or wrongly, whether that's going to blow up in our face eventually if someone breaks up, but, um, but it does show the community's building. People are, are so tight-knit with what they do that people that are from different suburbs, completely different sports, have never met each other. On Instagram, on a Saturday night, it pops up and they're out having a drink together. To me, I love that. I think that is... Um, a, an unwritten KPI of ours that, uh, that I'm more than happy to, to see. And if someone breaks up and it blows up in our face and we lose an athlete for it, I'm happy to roll that dice because I think the, the positives far outweigh the negatives of our now over 250 athletes in one facility actually having this camaraderie and building, building a, an athletic development life together. Yeah, I think that's massive. There's so much there that that is is bang on the money. Like ultimately, we, you and I know that the biggest factor in you gaining any sort of success in a training program is consistency and adherence, right? Mm -hmm. And the way we do that is actually not through giving you a list of exercises and saying, see you in six weeks, like you mentioned with the physio side of things, it's, it's creating connection. So we'll see you here. And actually you're gonna join this guy because you, you're connected in this way. You're doing the same A1 lift or you're doing the yeah. same B2 lift or whatever. And that connection creates community, which creates accountability because Hey, lucky, where were you yesterday? We were meant to train. What happened? Um, so it's the outcome is we get consistency and adherence, which produces the results. But the baseline thing was we had connection and community. And it's really interesting you bring up the, the similarities thing because I had this discussion with a player just last week. He said, hey, Rob, how come we're all doing the same player, uh, the same program? I said, for starters, you'll play the same sport. Secondly, you'll train on the same days and play on the same days. And thirdly, you all need the same stuff. You all need to get bigger, faster and stronger. Um, and you're not at the level where you're strong enough to warrant an individualized bit where we particularly focus on the, the knee bend at the scrum position because we'd be pissing into the wind. <laughs> you know, we've got so much low-hanging fruit that actually we can do this all together. And it's one of those just for, for coaches that are wanting to go into the pro sector or heading into the pro sector. It is important to know that in my context currently, in my environment, um, I can dictate who comes in. You know, we've built our culture. We've built what we service. Therefore, we attract people that are similar. 
Um, when you're in a pro setting, that's not the same. You, you are there and you need to adapt to the team that you have. Uh, I still believe, yeah, and when I was, when I was both at Para, but also at, at the Giants, when, when I was on the gym floor a lot more and running that gym program, I would, I would have, you know, 80% of my players systematically programmed based off a similar system I currently use. But I'm always going to have that 20% that, that are going to have completely separate programs. As I said, the unicorn programs, they're, they're ones that, that they're, and it's, it's the funny thing. When you change, especially when you're a young coach and you're starting to learn um, different athletes' likes, you'll change an athlete's program thinking, oh, they're going to love this exercise. Um, something really unique, they're really going to enjoy it. And they're going to come up to you and go, look, why am I doing something different? I'm like, what do you mean? Well, well this is positionally good for you. Oh, I really actually wanted to bench press with the boys. And you're like, oh, well, look, why don't you bench press with the boys and we can change this? And you can see the disappointment that they're not with the team. And then you have the other athlete that you put bench press in there with the boys and they come up to you and go, look, Connor, I did bench press the other day, man. Do you reckon like I should do something different? Like I feel like I probably need something a bit faster or you know, I reckon there's just something different. And then you start to learn that, okay, well, this is a unicorn that wants everything different. So you need to understand your players because you don't get to choose them at the end of the day. Head coach does. You've got to adapt and you've got to get the best buy-in. So there's always going to be players that you will, you know, when I did it, I wrote 80% of my programs and then I'd sit there and it took me twice as long to write 20% of my programs because they were literally a different program for each part. Click in and go, okay, here we go. So what are we going to do here? How can I get him to do this? I need him to add this but he's not going to do that. So I've got to sell it through this way. And you sit there staring at a computer screen, trying to just make this perfectly artistic program to make sure that they do it. But it's worth it because when you deliver it to them and they go, oh, look, best program ever, best program ever. And you decide, yep, that's what you said last one. And we'll just keep going and you just keep, and that's what you want. You want them to be engaged. And then you've got the other 80% where you've got five of the you know, 19 year olds all bench pressed together. Like, oh, look, how good is this program? I love a bit of bench press on a Tuesday with the boys. Like, great, let's do it. Like, people probably get too attached to, to A, individualization, but then the other way, probably too attached to not breaking to the mold. And, and in teams, you've got to be good at explaining why some players are on different programs. And that's a part of yourself. That's a part of you being a good coach and explaining, you know, when, when you have earned, like you just said, when you've earned the right to, to get a more individualized program or earned the right to have more of a buy-in. So um, I probably rambled there a little bit, but uh, I think it's just important with coaches to understand when I talk sometimes now, I'm talking from my private facility context, but that doesn't mean it's exactly what I did in the pro sector because it is, it can be different. Awesome. Well, I want to be mindful of your time, mate, because I know I've kept you for nearly an hour already. So tell us a bit okay. around the education programs that you're starting to, to put out there from Athletes Authority and where people could find out more about that and about yourself. Yeah, look, we've, um, like I said, we, we have had a real push to create a robust um, program and facility and business within our four walls. Um, we've sort of purposely, and we, in all honesty, we've had a, a number of people, which has been great, um, ask about education programs, ask about little mentorships or when we're putting new facilities out. Um, and we've kind of been very, very uh, cagey and sort of purposely kept everything internal until we make sure it, it's as robust as we can get it. Um, but yeah, 2022 is sort of going to be earmarked as our, our big push externally. Um, so we will be releasing a number of education programs. Um, a lot of them will be face-to-face, -face, which will be unreal. Um, 
hopefully international travels up and flying very soon with us. Um, Australia is a little bit slower than everyone else at the moment, um, but trying to get uh, get out to a few different countries to, to get that out there. But um, we will be pushing out some really good education programs. Uh, one of the big ones that we are are pushing out is I sort of alluded to previously around the physio side is um, it'll be called a, a performance rehab certification. Uh, and what that is, it's, it's effectively... You can be an exercise physiologist, a physio, strength conditioning coach, um, an osteo, a chiro, anyone that is interested in taking on the, the intricacies of long-term rehab, um, that's the course for you. It, it takes you from day one to day zero, uh, all the way through and explaining how to actually coach someone on the field, coach someone in the gym, how to look at the acute side of things, how to look at the chronic side of things. We've got physios presenting, strength conditioning coaches presenting. Um, so it'll really be an attempt to cram as much info into these four days as we can um, to upskill someone so they feel comfortable that, you know what, I'm a physio, I've had a lot of clinical experience, but doing this has really taken me to another level. And by the same token, it flips the other way that I'm a strength conditioning coach, but I don't know much about the early stage rehab. It'll also upskill you around there. So um, hopefully we get a really good spread of both clinical and end stage people and, uh, and their relationships will start to share some good information as well. Awesome. So where can people find out more about the work that you're doing and keep, keep their eyes peeled for those courses? So uh, Athletes Authority, we are just www.athletesauthority.com.au. So all of our information is there. Um, we are also Athletes Authority on Instagram. And then my Instagram personally is at performancecoach underscore Wilmot. Um, we all post everything, to be honest, in this day and age. Most of the announcements, anything that's coming up, you'll see it on my Instagram and Athletes Authority Instagram. Um, and if you already follow us, you'll know that all of our staff are, are on Instagram as well. They they love sharing their content, putting themselves out there, trying to get as many ideas as they can out there and, and also receive as many ideas as well. So um, I'm sure if uh, if you're following any one of us, you will not miss any posts that we, we put up about any education programs. Awesome, mate. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you today and digging into what you're doing. I love it. Um, I love keeping tabs on, on your stuff on Instagram. There's some really cool uh, things that kind of prompt some thought in terms of some of the rehab stuff you put out and the prehab stuff. So I, I find it really useful, the content you're putting out, and I know other people will. So, yeah, thanks so much for your time today, mate. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it, mate. Don't forget, you can find us on Instagram using the account at LTAD Network, as well as Twitter at LTAD Network, and find our website, www.ltadnetwork.com. Thanks for listening to this episode. And don't forget to get your seven-day free trial to our online platform, as well as 50% off your first month with the code LTADVIP50.